LinkedIn News. You are not going to be perfectly prepared for whatever surprise it is you receive in your career, in your life, or whatever it is. It's impossible. But what is possible is to have the tools that you can use on a regular basis. And I always think of it as if I'm a boomerang, do I always come back to center? I may go far out. I might go down to the trenches. But no matter what, I always know where I'm coming back to. So that's the most important thing as you're on this career journey and life journey is can you set yourself up and set the conditions so that you can continue to thrive even when life throws curveballs your way and that you have the right tools to do that. This is Everyday Better. Make sure you hit that follow button to get new episodes of our podcasts every week. Our conversation starts in just a few moments. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better, a self-improvement podcast where every week I sit down with some of the world's brightest minds and bravest hearts to learn how we can improve ourselves, our relationship to others, and the world around us. If you're not subscribed to my newsletter, make sure you sign up. You'll get weekly research-backed practices for elevating your mindset and living more meaningfully right into your inbox. Go to linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. That's linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. I would be honored to jump into your inbox and share strategies for choosing to be a little bit better every day. Hey, everybody, it's Leah, and I'm here in the studio today with the host of Hello Monday, Jesse Hempel. Hey, Leah. I said that as if I was about to interview you, but that's not what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Hey, so Leah, I'm going to host your show this week. You know, it's Black History Month, and Every Day Better is dedicating it to Black voices who inspire excellence. In this four-part series, which I really am enjoying, your listeners have heard from and will hear from women who share honest stories, guidance, and serve as advocates for you to pursue your own version of excellence in your field. And who better to interview than LinkedIn's own? You, Leah Smart. (laughs) Leah, you're on the LinkedIn editorial team. It's my team. You explore stories and perspectives with experts offering a lens of clarity, aiming to elevate how we approach life and work. Today, we're here to learn more about you, about the roadblocks you've overcome, about your journey. Leah, about what your version of excellence is. Here we go. Let's do it. Here we are in this moment, and I haven't had the opportunity ever to reflect with you on your journey. But I'll start by saying that the first time that I had a cup of coffee with you, you were not in the editorial business. I was not. No. (laughs) I was in customer success. And we have a wild connection path of how we even got connected. Someone that I knew from a previous role was close with you, and sent me a message on LinkedIn saying, hey, I think you two should meet at some point. I had no podcast at the time. I just, I saw your face. It was like, oh, fun. And then I forgot. And then five months later, Jackie and I had started recording this show. And we were just like, we'd love to like talk to someone who does this too. I was like, oh, right. There's a person who hosts a podcast here at LinkedIn. We should talk to her. I saw your face 
when I looked you up and I was like, oh my God. I got introduced six months ago and I forgot. And so then a mutual love for this friend of ours, Kyle, then ended up being the connector and has like also weaved his way into our lives and work. I have a coffee with anybody that Kyle says to have a coffee with. Mm. And also then we continue to have coffees. And I remember going back upstairs to my editor and he said, oh, okay, so we have our editorial podcast. There are other podcasts in the company. How should we think about this? Do we just ignore them? Do we want other podcasts? And I was like, we want this podcast to exist. Mm. This is a really good podcast. And in fact, it is in our best interest to continue to align with it and support them. I was like, oh, you know what? They've got a voice for this. They have something to say. So I want to talk today about your professional identity where you are on your professional journey, like what you've learned so far with the full assumption, Leah, that you, like most people, you're in the middle of it. A thousand percent. Right? Yeah. So let's start at the beginning of your career path, which really causes us to reflect on identity. Who did you think you were as you joined the workforce? I didn't know. I came into the workforce having not been an amazing student in college When I was in high school, I went to a Catholic school and I remember, you know, our counselors would bring us in and they'd sit with us and say, here's where you should apply based on your GPA. I had really not spent a lot of thoughtful time sitting down and going, where do I want to go to school? I had a list, but I didn't feel like I don't feel like I knew myself enough to really understand where I would thrive. So I had my list and my counselor said, you should apply to these two other schools. One of them I'd barely even thought about, but she was like, listen, a lot of people from our high school get in there. I was thinking of doing business Mm -hmm. because it felt general. And again, I didn't really know. And I didn't I wasn't one of those kids who was like, I'm going to be a this and it's got to happen and I will do it. So I applied under agricultural business. (laughs) And that was her rule to me was if you're going to apply, you have okay grades, pretty good grades. But this business school is 4.0 minimum. I think I had a 3.5 or something like that. And so she's like, if you apply under ag business, you'll do agriculture and then you'll get your business classes in the business school and you'll get the benefit. Is this your way of telling us that you (laughs) have an alternative career path as a farmer? Correct. Okay. (laughs) I have been to a dairy. I have done almond things and shucking and random stuff that a girl from Oakland would never have thought would happen. Okay. You have to tell us (laughs) what school this is. (laughs) So it's Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It is a school in the center of California. It is one of the largest and best known, actually, agricultural schools. It's a very good agriculture school. So I'm skipping ahead because lo and behold, I applied to all these schools. And the only school I got into of my six was Cal Poly. So I was accepted in an early matriculation process. So I went to college right after graduation. It was like two weeks or three weeks after. Wow. Yeah. What was interesting about this school was it forced you to declare a major at the beginning of your process. So you were not going through general education and then declaring a major. You were declaring a major entering and starting in that major right away. For a kid like me, who was like, I don't know what I'm doing and why am I an agriculture major? (laughs) I spent a lot of college, honestly, exploring and not even thinking about this major. I was doing photography classes. I had a long period where I was like, I want to be a journalist. I was messing around, like to the point right before my last year, they sent a letter (laughs) To my parents and to me saying, you have to finish your major, you will be in trouble. And I was like, oh, no, okay, no more exploring. And I did all ag classes. (laughs) And then I finished my major. 
you know, looking back, I go, maybe should have gone to a smaller liberal arts school, somewhere that would have been a little more community centered, would have held me a little bit more and I could have explored there. But I ended up creating my own exploration, which it sounds sexy, but it was also hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine. And I'm curious what your experience was in that major as a young black woman. You were also young starting college, too, right? I was 16. I was 17. Yes. 17. I mean, just think for a moment, anyone listening, what you knew about the world at age 17. At 17. So little. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Oakland and Oakland is incredibly diverse. I grew up around people who looked like me and people who didn't. But I found that culturally, for whatever reason, from when I was a kid, most of my friends didn't look like me, but we were all sort of banded together. I always felt I kind of had my own way of being, my own little quirkiness. Mm -hmm. And I think I've spent a lot of my life looking for, like, where do I belong? Cal Poly was the first culture shock I ever got because I went deep into the heart of a school where most people came from or a lot of people came from the center of California or really small farm towns. So you're talking people who have maybe never interacted with a Black person who maybe have used certain phrases and slurs that you go, are you kidding me? But it was normal for them. Uh, I can remember my third year in college or fourth year, one of the fraternities hung a noose from the front of their house. Wow. Um, And I think this was all prior to like the racial reckoning that I think we're still in. You know, there is how you reflect on it now Mm -hmm. as a woman in the middle of your life. And then there's what it was to be a 20-year-old student on that campus with, I presume, a lot fewer tools for understanding the context Mm -hmm. of that than you have now. How did you navigate it then? You know, I was fortunate that 20 of my friends from high school went to college with me. Excuse (laughs) me? (laughs) Were they all ad majors? No, they were not. Um, So that was definitely a bit of a buffer. Uh, There were only 200 black kids at this school out of 20,000 kids, 200 black kids. So I joined National Society of Black Engineers because it was the only thing that really existed. I was not an engineer and I became the vice president. I did these things to try and join these, be part of these groups. But I'd say generally discomfort. I wouldn't say I navigated incredibly well. I'd say thank God for the friends I had who were from more liberal, more culturally aware areas. So you graduate with your ag degree and your membership to the engineering society. (laughs) What kind of job does that translate into? (laughs) A sales job at LinkedIn in tech. (laughs) I graduate and I'm like, I want to travel. And I've always wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to do that whole like, who knows, I could end up living in Japan. I was that person. I'm like, you never know you're going to land and I want to figure it out. So I was working as a waitress at California Pizza Kitchen. used to be incredible. It was like the coolest place in town in San Luis Obispo. I was like, I got hired. I was a winner. So I was working there, saving money and planning actually to go to Prague. I'd found this black woman and she's 35, hilarious because now I'm her age. But I was like, wow, she's making it in Prague. And so she had this blog. It was like black woman in Prague. And I was like, I'd track her. And I was like, she's doing it. I can do it. My dad, who's in tech and who I definitely look up to and has been a mentor of mine forever, was like, what are you doing? He's like, why don't you find a job that will pay you to travel instead of going out of the country and trying to figure it out? So I, to appease him, chose to drive down to Cal Poly and go to a career fair. And meanwhile, I'll keep planning this other thing. So I go to the career fair with a friend. On the way down, I get into a car accident. So I almost didn't go. And I was like, just keep going. You know, my car was okay. It got towed. And I went to the career fair. 
I had no idea who was going to be there except foster farms, and like some other agriculture stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to go work on a winery or at foster farms, but I'm going to go and see what's there. I walk to this little tiny table. You and I are sitting at like a long dinner style table, probably half the size. It had a tiny little card, folded card that said LinkedIn. And I saw this woman that looked really interesting. She had bright red hair. And I was like, I want to talk to her. And so we ended up talking and she was like, I think you would be great at LinkedIn in sales. And I was like, I have no idea what any of that means, but here's my resume. And I went home and continued on with my life. And then I got a call from her maybe three weeks later. And she was like, I think you'd be good. And I didn't forget about you. So I do go in and I do the interview. That was a whole process in itself. I will say, I think my life is littered with these moments of synchronicity that have gotten me to where I am now. I think when I was younger, it was almost by accident because I was not believing in some divine fate that got me this job. But I've learned over time that these things aren't by accident. So I ended up in the interview process I was one of the first sales development reps here at LinkedIn. So I was calling people back when HR people didn't think it was okay to recruit people who had jobs actively. (laughs) (laughs) So I would call the HR people and go, no, no, even though they have a job, they might want to talk to you. (laughs) So we're going to sell you this thing so you can talk to them. So that's where I started. And I will say it was not an on-purpose thing, as you can tell. I was good at it. And so I was going after what I was good at. I really did enjoy sales. I like relationships. I obviously like talking to people. So it worked. Right. Did you enjoy doing it while you were doing it? I did enjoy it until I didn't. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's kind of how it goes, right? Isn't that a thing generally, I think, about careers that you get moving and you feel so alive and then something shifts and all of the things that worked before suddenly don't work anymore and you have to reinvent your notion of yourself again? Yes. And you can't seem to make it all come back to where it was. Once I decided it wasn't the thing for me, I couldn't go back and I could not stay put, which I think a lot of people can do. I think a lot of people can go, well, this is just the way it is. And that phrase doesn't work for me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so how far along were you and how did you transition? So I was 28. I had spent almost five years in sales. I was brought onto a new team that was just forming and I didn't like the role. It wasn't for me in the way that the last roles had been. I am the kind of person who needs to feel a deep sense of purpose in my work because I am very work-oriented. I think I live to work in a lot of ways, so that was important to me, and I think that was the first moment that I identified that as a value. I couldn't have even told you at the time that it was a value. I could just tell you what I knew I did not want. Totally. So I quit. <laughs> so wait, I wait, wait. <laughs> you quit? LinkedIn. Um, I decided to line up something else, and I didn't know what the something else was. I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I wanted to become. I just knew I needed to do something different. Looking back now, I think oftentimes you just need something to shake you loose from the thing that you're doing to just give you some space to start over. It doesn't have to be the perfect next step. So I ended up at a company called Compass. It's a luxury real estate um, brokerage. And at the time, they were hiring people to recruit agents. And so I was meeting with agents all over New York City who were like the top agents telling them why they should come to Compass. This was like a true you're going out and recruiting. And it was a big function. So I did that for a year and a half. And I knew that that was not a forever job. But again, it shook me loose. Yeah. I think so much about how particularly when we're coming off of something that has been really successful or where we have had a strong sense of belonging or community, it's important to remember that the next job doesn't have to be the forever job, Mm -hmm. which is never something you know in the moment. And it can make it very hard to screw up the courage to make that leap. 
you weren't at Compass all that long. Year and a half. And I was back at LinkedIn right after. And I will tell you, when I left LinkedIn, I was like, I'm probably not coming back. This is over. And how sad. You and I both work at LinkedIn today. It's a hard company to leave. I loved this company. My best friends worked here. It was really rough to leave. But in that process of being at Compass, decided I would hire a coach. I'd never had a coach before. And I hire this coach and I'm like, I want you to help me in three months figure out what the heck I'm doing with my life. Uh-huh. And so I start exploring these ideas. Wait, I, let me just ask you. Yeah. Did you hire that coach because you were miserable or because you saw the potential for growth? I think I was lost. I wasn't miserable, but it was close. I think if I had let it go much longer, I would have become miserable. Yeah. And having the faith in yourself to go, I know when it's time to seek some help. And for me, it was like, I need help with direction. And because work is so important to me. I need a career coach, essentially. Yeah. So I decided to hire this person. I worked with her for a few months. I thought about what I wanted to do, and I still wasn't clear. I just knew that my skills were very clearly sales skills Mm -hmm. and that if I didn't find a way to broaden those skills, I would be stuck. And that was my biggest fear was like being stuck, knowing I wanted to contribute so much more. So I came to the conclusion after like a bunch of different explorations that maybe it made the most sense for me to find something at LinkedIn where I knew people, where I would be trusted to expand my skill set to go do that there. It was a safe way to do what I wanted to do, which was to broaden my skills professionally. And that's where a lot of my career has taken me since. In other words, you could be trusted to be a beginner because you had built up social capital with this institution. Yeah. And I want to say when you think about your career and something I've become very clear on because I've made enough career moves now is to ask yourself the question, what am I optimizing for in the next thing I'm doing? And so what I was optimizing for was to become a beginner and to be trusted to become a beginner. But there are other times we optimize for other things, and that's quite all right. It's just being clear on it that helps you feel that sense of security as you make the choice. So did you know the job that you were taking or did you come hat in hand to figure out what was available and where you might fit? This was probably the point when I started trusting more in something I didn't know, couldn't see, but believed that something will show up. I ended up finding a role that was the perfect, like, I wasn't a beginner in a sense because the role asked that the person be specialized in sales or no sales. But I was a beginner in that it spread me in a different way because it was a project or program management role. Right. Yeah. Right. So now we are still not to this <laughs> studio here no, we are not. at LinkedIn. You know, there is the actual path, the narrow path. And then there is the shape shifting of your identity as you grow into the different people you become mm-hmm. in each of your roles. And I wonder if it might be a good time to reflect on what character you brought to these roles and how it shaped your decision making. And I say that specifically, Mm -hmm. Leah, because you teased out this idea that by then you had begun to trust yourself. I think I'd begun to trust the universe or whatever you want to call it. I'd begun to trust that there was something I could not see that I could not necessarily control, which is my challenge. How do I control this thing? It was I knew I couldn't control it, but that something was there uh, and there was some support that would appear. That was kind of all I knew. Around this time, when I was thinking about leaving Compass and trying to figure out what was next, a lot of anxiety. So trust mixed with anxiety. 
I didn't know what anxiety was. <laughs> I didn't know what I was experiencing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew that I felt stress more than it seemed like other people felt stress. But I also knew that I had this other thing that felt beastly and hard to deal with, which was true anxiety or deeper anxiety that was I had intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so intrusive thoughts are, can be a really tough thing to deal with. I think it's said now that six million plus Americans deal with it. I think it's probably underreported. But I've always been a worrier. My mom used to call me her little worrier. And I think my childhood experiences translated into this anxiety kind of monster. What was your relationship with mental health care at that point in your life? I had gotten a therapist one time in college. Mm-hmm. I didn't like her. <laughs> so I was done quickly. Fit is so important, <laughs> it is. right? It's like dating. Yeah. My relationship with my mental health and with mental health in general, I think, was still shame. It's a lot of shame. Why do I feel this way? What's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. No one's told me that this is normal or that it's okay to feel stress, but even that it can go farther, that it can feel like high anxiety and it can be scary. I had tough periods during my time, end of my time at Compass, where I didn't trust myself at all. If I can't internalize the trust, then can I externalize it? Yeah, well put. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with Leah Smart. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Leah Smart. So this brings us back to LinkedIn during your second tour of duty. And you really expanded the role that you had, the skills in your portfolio. It's interesting to me, Leah, that it seems like at every turn you were met with yes, even as you expanded your role beyond what was typical of that role. How do you think about that? You know, having anxiety can make you pessimistic, even though this part of me has some of this pessimism or this fear or worry. There's a big part of me that is like, this life is going to be incredible. 
and this life is going to be a yes, and I will get what I want. That tenacity has always been in me since I was a kid, and I think that's part of what has helped me get the yes, is this just deep, entrenched belief that it will be. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always perceived about you that the getting what you want happens in service to what you sense to be your larger purpose. Yes. So it's not like Leah wants this ice cream and she said she was going to have ice cream. (laughs) It's like Leah wants to have this impact. And so if expanding my role in this way is the way to get the impact, I will ask for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So I'm in this role. I'm back at LinkedIn. I've been there for almost a year. So I was living in New York and I moved back to San Francisco as I was making these career shifts because I thought, well, I'm 28. Maybe it's the time. Everybody's leaving. My family's here, et cetera. Yeah. So I was in that San Francisco. That happens around 28. Yes. It's... You look up and you're like, what? You all knew what you were doing? Right. Right. And <laughs> and then you kind of feel like the wool was, pu- was pulled over your eyes if you were like dead set on becoming a New Yorker because you realize that everybody else was not. So I... I had moved to San Francisco at the time, and I had been asked then to move to Chicago to manage this program. I said yes, because I did not trust my gut, and I saw a career ladder I could climb. And I think this happens a lot. You see the ladder in front of you. You might have a little sense somewhere in your body, in your heart, like somewhere that's like, oh, this isn't quite. But I said yes. So I then proceeded to go to Chicago to travel to build this program and start recruiting for it. Probably went there like seven times. The seventh time was December of 2017. I shot out of bed in this hotel room one morning, and my gut and everything in my body was like, you cannot move here. It was terrible. (laughs) Sounds alluring, but growth is hard. Yeah. Making decisions and trusting your gut is hard because you don't know that there's a net below you. And even when you want to have so much faith, it's hard to release controls. But I couldn't ignore it. So I went home after these couple of days. I thought about it for a day. And I went to my manager and I said, I have to move back to New York because that was the other thing my gut said. I had no idea what was waiting for me there. I had no idea what jobs I could get. And I knew, though, that I was willing to leave LinkedIn with very little money. I wasn't like sitting on a whole cut. No, it was like, I'm willing to do all of this and put this on the line to go. It felt like my life depended on it in a way. And so we sat down in a room and my manager said, I support you. It was so relieving. We both cried. (laughs) And I was like, "Okay." I was about to turn 30 at the time. I decided that I would go to New York for a week. I would try to interview. (laughs) I would try to figure out if I could move here, find a place to live, and do all these things. I had no idea how that was going to happen. I was optimizing for being in a role that would give me the space to figure out what I wanted to do, that I felt familiar with, that I felt interested in, that I knew I could do well, but I needed space. I'd felt overworked. So in that week, I turned 30. I met the person whose job I was going to take. I didn't know at the time whose job that I would get because they were moving on. Met my podcast host (laughs) and I ran into someone on the street as I was just strolling around who I'd gone to high school with in Oakland. And she knew my landlord, my future landlord, and said, call me when you get here. He's got, you know, buildings and apartments. Wow. So in a week, I secured my new job, met a person I'd start a podcast with, had no idea I would start a podcast with her at the time. And then I got an apartment. And so were you able to make that transition inside LinkedIn? You didn't leave again. So now we're (laughs) – now actually it's an interesting moment because it's around the time that we met. You started this podcast not as it exists today, Mm -hmm. but in fact literally as a labor of love, Mm -hmm. scrapping together any materials and any extra time you could find from folks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I moved back to New York in April of 2018. I 
started really getting more serious about working on my anxiety because I was realizing that it was holding me back from things. I was really discovering what it was, which I think is really important and I've continued to. And even in the last year and a half, I feel like I've come such a long way in understanding anxiety and hopefully sharing more of it so that people of color and communities of color, Black women can feel seen, understood, and like it's okay. It's okay to have challenges. It's okay to experience anxiety. Many people do. A lot don't talk about it, but it's not shameful. It's real and normal. And do you feel specifically like you were not seeing people who looked like you or came from your experience speaking about it? No. Much more now. And I still have to seek them out, but more now than before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I was working through that. I had my next ping that came was, I think I want to be a coach. And it was because I had met someone the year that I was home in San Francisco who was doing work that I felt was closer to what I wanted to be doing. And it felt right. So I started my coaching certification. And the person who I started my podcast with was also getting her coaching certification. And we were sitting on my couch one day and we were having this conversation about what we were learning and how we were growing and how coaching is not giving advice. It's actually letting people come to their own conclusions. And there was so much depth there. And we both said, we should start a podcast. We realized there was a recording studio in this office at LinkedIn in New York. We didn't know. We realized we needed just one signature to get into this recording (laughs) studio, which is hilarious now, six years later. And so we just did it from scratch. We did it on our time off. We did it when we weren't working. We didn't care because it was important. Yeah. And so you started and you built it. But that podcast was... And a much earlier chapter of what is today, every day better. Mm-hmm. You were not actually on the editorial team. You are now. Mm-hmm. You went from being a co-hosted show to being a solo host. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Growth isn't always fun and easy. Looking back on it, reflecting, I always see how every dot connected and everything had to happen the way it happened. But in the moment, you're going, are you kidding me? <laughs> meeting with you and you were becoming what felt like a mentor for us as we were doing this show, I took immediately to the field of positive psychology. I didn't know it existed until 2017. A coworker said, I think I'm going to apply to this program. It's called Masters of Applied Positive Psychology at UPenn, created by the founders of positive psychology, Martin Seligman being one. And then the world sort of opened up for me. I went, whoa, this is cool. The field of positive psychology is essentially like, what are the conditions in which we can thrive? And how can we create individuals, teams, and organizations or institutions that are founded on these principles so that people can live meaningful lives? I really took to it. And I had built up a skill set in coaching because I'd been doing this program. Okay, so one of the ways that I was doing coaching work was I was teaching this open enrollment course here at LinkedIn called Conscious Business. So I'm starting a new cohort of Conscious Business, and synchronicity seems to step in because one of the attendees had gone to this graduate program. And when I looked her up, it turns out she's the head of executive development at LinkedIn. And I'm going, oh my God, this is the kind of work I want to be doing. I didn't even know we had this team. So on day one, I can't wait for her to show up and meet her, and she doesn't show up. So I could have stopped there, but I was like, no, I am not going to let this opportunity pass me by. So I reach out to her, told her who I was, and asked if she had time to connect. So we end up talking the next week, and I tell her all about the coaching I'm doing and the courses I've been doing on my own. So we talked, and she's like, listen, 
I think you should meet my boss who leads all of your learning and development. And I was like, why? What do you mean? And I was like, that's too much. <laughs> you know, like I'm not I'm not qualified. The job isn't here and I haven't whatever. So I start all my, you know, all the scary thoughts come in. Well, I avoided that meeting. And two weeks later, I went to Las Vegas for an event. The event was a sales event. And Jackie and I, my podcast co-host, are speaking at the event about some of the things we talk about on the show. And we needed to practice more. So we decided, okay, there's a couple sessions throughout the event that you can go to. And I was like, there's one I don't want to skip. It's called Purpose. She said, okay, great. So we, she didn't skip hers and I didn't skip mine. So that session, I go in and I sit in the front row because I really want to learn about purpose. And it's going to be something interesting. And the person walks out and stands at the podium and goes, I'm Kevin. I lead learning and development. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he found me. You're like, that's the guy <laughs> I've been here. avoiding. Yep. So I went up to him after the session and I said, I'm Leah. Jess is someone I've been talking to. I love her. He's like, I already know who you are. I was like, oh, my God. And so I leave that session going, what was that? That was not a plan. I didn't know who I was going to go see. And two weeks later, I had a job in New York wow. doing this work with wow. the same job description that I had written, that I had matched up to an open role at LinkedIn that was not in New York. It's just so turned out that they had no one in New York and they had a market for it. And I was at the right place at the right time. But I want to add, I was fully prepared or mostly prepared. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The next stage of that journey was then we had our podcast and um over time, you know, co-hosting is hard. And I've always felt inside that my job was to learn how to stand on my own. Yeah. That was part of my work in this lifetime. So my co-host and I were going in different directions. We wanted different things. It was very clear we were on different pages. And I had to have the conversation that was so hard to say we're not on the same page. And here's how I think we could change this because I feel so deeply that something can come out of it, but it needs all of us. It needs so much more of our hearts and our souls to pour into. And at the time she was focused on other things that made that almost impossible, which was totally okay. So that was rough. And so when you interviewed us, that was right at the end of our friendship at that time. We're friends again, but we'd become really close and we had this show together and it just so happened that she and I were set up to interview the CEO of LinkedIn, the new CEO, Ryan. So we had scheduled this interview. And after this whole blow up, it was still on the calendar. And I said, let's do it together. And because she was considering leaving, she thought that it wasn't the right choice. So I did it by myself. I was scared out of my mind. It was my first solo interview <laughs> with the CEO of LinkedIn. So we end up doing this interview. It ends and, you know, I move on with my life. My job then is to figure out how to be a solo host of a show that I'm getting some support on, but I'm basically running by myself. Yeah. That was when I called you again and said, like, here's where I'm at. I don't know what to do. And I had to rebuild the show and basically spent six weeks in a hole redoing everything I could and just thinking, like, what is this show? How do I do this? Now, we relaunched the show and uh, I have Ryan as my first episode. And right before that launches, I send him an email and say, here it is. Thank you so much. And within four minutes, mm -hmm. I get a call. I am in sweats. Like, I'm working. I'm in the totally. backyard. I'm a hot mess. It's Ryan. And so Ryan says to me, he's like, I don't know how you did this. I don't know really even who you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> but this is incredible and you need to join the editorial team. You need to do this in a much larger way because it's really important. I mean, I fell out of my chair and the rest is history from there because I'm now on the team. But at the time, again, I will say I had a vision. I had no idea how that was going to come together. 
I will tell you, a week after this call from Ryan, I got a call from the media team, the production team had been helping me put this together just to be kind, saying, we can't help you anymore. We're done. It all would have fallen apart had he not heard this episode. Wow. And synchronicity being what it is. Yes. But I worry that as you're telling the story, we may leave listeners with the perception that if you just trust in yourself, everything is going to move up and to the right. And so I feel like it's actually maybe a useful thing for me to share something that I bet they don't know. Yeah. Which is inside LinkedIn, you know, you have these levels. You move from level to level. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to make a lateral move. You want to always try to be reaching for the next rung of some ladder. But to take a chance on yourself and on this show, you actually had to make the decision to move back a level. Yes, two levels. Two levels. Yes. I don't think I realized it was two Two. levels. Yep. So now you've been in this role for what, two years? Two years. Two years. Mm -hmm. Holy crow. I know. It's crazy. Can you think a little bit about that decision? Are you glad you made it? I wouldn't change it for anything. I would change it for nothing. I would climb none of the ladders I was offered and do this. Thank you for calling that out. It's exciting. It's amazing. But you are constantly making decisions about what you're optimizing for. Right. Both of those jobs were optimizing. And the job I'm in now was optimizing for a complete and total self and career transformation. And yes, it came at a cost. You know, in some ways, it's humbling to be moved down. It's humbling to just move across. Well, I think that the outside world, whatever that means to you, sends you clear signals about what success can look like. And so you don't have to do any work on your own if you follow those signals, Mm -hmm. right? But if you choose your own path, then you also have to choose what success looks like. Yes. Based on something much squishier, which is how you feel inside. In adult development, there's a guy who talks about the shifts as we move through life that can happen. And the way he talks about it is these different phases that we're in throughout our lives. And most people, the majority of people stay in what they call the socialized mind. We receive values from the outside world. We follow suit. It's all good. What happens to a smaller percentage of the population, and and I don't know if he said this is based on age or not, but I think it's based on experience, is something happens that knocks you out of the socialized world, of the world where as long as these things happen, I'm okay. As long as I grow up and go to college and get a good job and get married, something happens in that process in your little plan to climb that ladder where you can no longer pretend that that will keep you safe. And so what it forces you to do is it puts you in this new phase called the self-authoring mind, which is where I have to look inside and dig deep and do the work. And I wish that self-help didn't have the stigma that I think it sometimes has or like the fluffiness. It's not fluffy to do this work. This is to me the work of your life and it's hard. But in your self-authoring space, it's where you have to decide what matters. You have to come up with your values. You hopefully will find communities and flocks of people who are like you, but it won't be the same. And you You will look at many people who are in the socialized mind world and you will feel different. I love that. That to me, so much of the underpinning of what your show is about and what makes it really great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm so grateful to get to do this work and I feel it all the time, every day. Yeah, I feel the exact same I'm sure you do. Yeah, you can feel it, you know, on both of our shows. I think you can feel that. Yeah. I will say to your point at the beginning of this. This is the middle. (laughs) It's not the end. Some other surprise will come and we don't know what that is, but it will come. And that's just the way it is. So I think I've learned you are not going to be perfectly prepared for whatever surprise it is you receive in your career, in your life. It's impossible. But what is possible is to have the tools that you can use on a regular basis. And I always think of it as if I'm a boomerang, do I always come back to center? I may go far out. I might go down to the trenches. But no matter what, I always know where I'm coming back to 
So that's the most important thing as you're on this career journey and life journey is can you set yourself up and set the conditions so that you can continue to thrive even when life throws curveballs your way and that you have the right tools to do that. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was the voice you have come to know, Leah Smart, host of this show. If you like this conversation, share it with the first person who comes to mind and give us a rating before you go to help other people like you find the show. Additionally, we'd love to hear what you liked about this episode or our show in general. So take a minute to write a one sentence review so that we can see it and thank you for it. If you're not subscribed to my newsletter, make sure you sign up. You'll get weekly research-backed practices for elevating your mindset and living more meaningfully right into your inbox. Go to linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. That's linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. Everyday Better is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow. Asaf Goudron makes sure we sound good in the studio and mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.